From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 33. We've got a great guest today, one of the really accomplished strength and conditioning coaches from Major League Baseball, and also one of the really good dudes in the industry and a good friend of mine. So we're in for a treat with that. Today's episode is brought to you by Mark Pro. If you're a baseball pitcher, you know that keeping your arm healthy is essential. But with high training volumes on top of games, that's not always easy. Overuse is a significant problem for players at every level of baseball right now. Certainly, we see shoulder and elbow injuries as some of the most common overuse injuries in baseball. And as an example, at the professional level, a UCL injury can result in an average of 17.2 months out of competition. That's a huge deal also if you're a young player and you miss out on a lot of development. So really, at the end of the day, there are three ways that we can combat overuse. First, you can reduce the workload, and certainly there's been a lot of research out there on pitch counts. Second, and this is the theme of these podcasts, is that you can build a significant level of strength and fitness to prepare yourself. However, a third key approach that's often overlooked is that you can work to improve your recovery so that you can safely display your fitness day in and day out. And that's really where the Mark Pro is an effective tool. Some athletes will even use it to warm up their arms before they throw as well. Mark Pro is a cutting-edge EMS device that uses patented technology to create non-fatiguing muscle activation, and this is what separates it from other recovery tools. Muscle activation with Mark Pro facilitates each stage of the body's natural recovery process, similar to active recovery, but without the extra muscular effort and fatigue. Athletes can use it for as long as they need to ensure a more full and quick recovery in between training or games. With its portability and ease of use, players can use Mark Pro while traveling between games or while relaxing at home. We have players that use it all the time on team flights to bounce back while they're just chilling on that flight. Um, we have plenty of pro guys that use this. In fact, every ML team and over 200 pro pitchers are regularly using Mark Pro. Um, put it to the test for yourself now with their new Try Before You Buy program. And you can use the promo code Cressy at checkout for 10% off at markpro.com. Again, that's Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, at checkout for 10% off at markpro.com, M-A-R-C-P-R-O.com. Today's guest recently completed his 12th season in professional baseball. He's currently a director of athletic development and performance science for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's been in the strength and conditioning field for 13 years and previously worked for the Pittsburgh Pirates at the minor league level and EXOS, formerly Athletes Performance, in their military strength and conditioning department with the Department of Defense. He holds a bachelor's degree in exercise science from Wayne State College, where he was a member of the baseball team, and he also holds a master's degree from A.T. Still University in human movement. He holds many certifications ranging from a National Strength and Conditioning Association, CSCS, all the way to FMS, SFMA, USAW, DNS, PRI, and Strong First Kettlebell. He has a strong belief in the importance of sound training and optimal recovery for high-level performance, not only in the world of professional athletes, but also general human performance. Please welcome to the show, Brandon McDaniel. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure. 
This is going to be a lot of fun. We've talked a ton over the years and kind of like the nerd sessions on the phone, uh, both in season and off season, you come and visited me, but it's cool to be able to share this to a larger audience because um, you're one of the more progressive guys out there. So uh, I think people are in for a treat here. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And, and and they probably were nerd sessions. I think sometimes they might be therapy sessions for me and, <laughs> and want to know what's going on. It goes both ways. In the private sector. So yeah, I appreciate it. I think the grass is always greener on the other side, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a pretty fair statement. Um, so let's let's first. Uh, obviously, we, folks have heard your bio, but I, w- I would love to talk about your ascent to the major leagues. How did you wind up uh, as a major league strength coach for the Dodgers? Yeah, so um, started back in probably two thousand five, two thousand six. I was in college. I was getting a degree in exercise science. I was a broke down college baseball player that wasn't very good, and definitely thought I was a lot better than I actually was. And finally came to the realization like this isn't going to happen. And and truthfully, like I think a lot of guys go into uh, baseball because they have a strength and conditioning background and they love it and they're looking for kind of a fit in that way. I was a baseball guy looking to find a way in. Wanted to use my degree to kind of catapult me into that and and got into to strength and conditioning really honestly like behind the eight ball, not knowing as much as I should have and had to find a way to kind of fake it the first few years and, until I figured it out. And then mm-hmm. uh, was lucky enough, uh, Chris Dunaway, who was a former uh, minor league coordinator for the Pittsburgh Pirates, hired me as an unpaid intern to finish my college degree uh, at Wayne State College in, in Nebraska and went down to Bradenton, Florida and spent, you know, 16 weeks with him uh, and had just like an absolute blast and knew exactly like this is what I want to do. I got to get a heck of a lot better before I can do it at another level, but this is what I want to do. And I was getting ready to pack my bags, go home to Omaha, Nebraska and start, uh, start my career as a personal trainer at 24 hour fitness. And Chris pulled me in the office and said, Hey, uh, you know, we really appreciate everything that you've done for us. I was throwing batting practice at the time. I was catching bullpens. I was helping with flips in the cage, doing a little bit of everything. He said, our, our farm director would like to keep you around as the, as the AZ or as the, um, Gulf coast, uh, strength coach. I was like, holy cow, like, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I stuck with, stuck with them through the end of, uh, the GCL season, went home again, really didn't know what was going to happen. And, um, the positions weren't full time in, in 2007. They were, they were basically seasonal internships. And Chris called me in November and said, Hey, we, you know, we have an opportunity for you to be full time, uh, to be in double A in Altoona with, uh, you know, the prospects that we have in the organization and would, you know, really like to have you back. And so I spent two more years there, um, as a, as a double A strength coach for, for Altoona and the, and the Pirates organization. And at that point really got to the point, And I, I just saw Daniel Moskos the other day who was in the organization was the first rounder in 07. And, uh, I said, man, you were asking me some questions back in 2009. I had no business answering. And <laughs> at that point, like I was in the middle of getting my master's degree online. Um, and it was like, I've, I've got to go out and get more training. I've got to understand the strength side a lot more than this. Um, and was lucky enough to catch on with, uh, at the time athletes performance now Exos working in the military. And it was, it was basically a two year apprenticeship of learning every strength conditioning, like tactic that was out there. And, and then also working in the military and the department of defense, we had the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different things for as many people that, you know, that want to kind of serve our nation's finest. And, uh, at that point, Sue Falsoni, who was working at Athletes Performance and Moonlighting with the Dodgers was offered the head trainer job, uh, you know, for Los Angeles and was looking for, you know, kind of a team to put together to come with her to LA and, uh, had created a relationship with her and we'd done some work together. And, and so she asked me to be the AAA strength coach in 2012 in Albuquerque and came over and we were trying to implement the AP 
uh, methodology into uh, into what we were what we were doing here with the Dodgers and make it work in baseball. And you know, from there, it it kind of just took on a life of its own and got to be around Sue, who's one of the finest clinicians in the world, San Conti, who has one of the best like epidemiology minds, baseball minds uh, from an athletic training standpoint that I've ever been around. Brian Stoneberg, who uh, came from from Exos, who's our you know minor league coordinator, Travis Smith, who's now our major league strength coach, came from Exos. So we just had this really cool family. Mm-hmm. And so we were, uh, you know, doing really well. And luckily the next year was promoted to, uh, to the big leagues in 2013 and, uh, was a major league strength coach at that point. And again, like it, the game was, the game was different and, uh, strength and conditioning, I think was still, you know, thought of in a different light. And, you know, we were, we were doing as much as we could to get by, but really in 2015, when Andrew Friedman came on as the president of baseball operations for the Dodgers, it took off. Like, uh, you know, we were able to kind of open up some creative pathways. Um, you know, no fear of failure. We're, we were able to push players. We were able to talk about, you know, uh, the difference between the in season and the off season and, and really being in LA, um, having the advantage to train people in beautiful weather, just like you get to in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we created something really, really special here in the off seasons where we have a lot of guys that come in and train with us. That's awesome. You know, what I love about like the start of that story is you, you, you were kind of like a Swiss army knife. Like you would catch bullpens, you would do whatever was asked of you. And I think that's a, a forgotten skill is like being willing to like take on everything. I think we see so many people that, you know, you can become an expert quote unquote at such a young age that a lot of times, you know, organizations and, and even like, you know, our business, like we're a small business, like you can't just have people that come in and can only do one thing. You have to be able to wear a lot of different hats. Do you still see that as like a, a tremendously valuable asset for, you know, the young coaches that are trying to enter pro ball, being able to wear a few different hats like that? Absolutely. And we, we are very fortunate with a ton of resources here that, you know, we have, you know, four or five coaches and multiple coordinators and multiple trainers at every level along with the strength coaches. And you still don't have enough people to throw batting practice, mm-hmm. to catch bullpens, to play long toss with maybe a rehab guy that can tell the difference if the ball's backspinning or cutting or if they're in their normal mechanics or if they're a little altered because they're compensating for some reason. And so I think there's just so much, number one, that, that you can make yourself an asset to help out the organization. But number two, I think that as we've moved into this new movement of the, the on-base use and, and kind of the movement competency part of baseball that I think probably, you know, jacks both of us up and, mm-hmm. and kind of gets our blood flowing. Like, uh, I think that helps in those conversations as we try to connect the, the training room to the weight room, the weight room to the cage and the mound and the mound and the cage to the field. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've read, uh, the new, the book range that just came out, but, you know, they talk a lot about the importance of being a generalist before you're a specialist. And you, you effectively did that. You were a baseball guy. You were a strength conditioning guy. You were a bullpen catcher. You did a lot of different things. And do you think that to some degree that general experiences that you've had, uh, you know, kind of contributed to being more of a specialist now where you kind of see the relationships between things and, is is that something that you see also maybe in some of the front office folks and other, you know, higher level guys that you're working with in the Dodgers organization? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, I work with, uh, with quite a few generalists, I would say, mm-hmm. and, and that helps tremendously at 10,000 and 30,000 feet. And I, I think the most important thing for me, and especially in the role that I'm in, uh, I'm not a specialist in anything anymore. I have a team of people on, on our strength staff, our performance staff, 
that are probably way better at certain skill sets than I ever will be. And then if you look at our athletic training staff uh, with Ron Porterfield, with Neil Ramp, with Andrew Hauser, Jonathan Erd, Thomas Albert, Possum uh, Nakajima, like we have some guys that are so talented. And when you realize that and you're a generalist, you can step back and say, hey, you, you fire the shot on this guy. You got a way better chance of doing that versus, you know, I think the terms of a Swiss Army knife can be taken the other way of like, I think I can fix everything. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and so I, I really like to, there's some things I think I do really, really well from a skill standpoint that, that I can take care of, but I, I, I kind of consider myself a communicator and a collaborator. Absolutely. Now I'm, I'm curious. You, you obviously came to the big league level in 2013. How is, how has the role of the strength coach changed just in those six years? Cause I know from the outside, like, like conversations like this never would have happened in 2010. Like we, we, there was very little outreach to the private sector. You know, you, you see like the twins hiring a college, you know, pitching coach directly to the big leagues. You see more and more people from the private sector going right to professional baseball. So obviously it's become more open-minded and, and people can accelerate quickly. Like Brandon Gomes is your assistant GM. I feel like, I think I was training Brandon as a player three or four years ago. Um, so guys can move really quickly into really high positions. How, how have you seen the role in the strength conditioning capacity change since you got there in 2013? Yeah, uh, I mean, especially uh, here, and not that we had great people. I mean, at the time that I got here, Mark McGuire was a uh, was our hitting coach, and he was unbelievable to work with. And and Rick Honeycutt, I tell people all the time, uh, teaches biomechanics better than you know most professors of biomechanics do. Uh, he just he has a, a way of doing it in in terms of making people better at pitching. And so there was still some pretty big walls up just from what we knew, and and the fact that like, you know what, like. Your ability to hinge, your ability to squat, your ankle dorsiflexion, your ability to extend and flex your T-spine and rotate it, those things show up on the mound and, and in the box. And so what we've done is, as opposed from like back squat, RDL, lat pull down, dumbbell bench, thinking that that's going to make us a better baseball player, like we've really, really diet, you know, dove in to those areas where we can get some margins to make somebody have more area of impact, uh, to backspin a baseball better, to be able to get on top of their breaking ball better because their bodies are, are, are capable of getting into those positions. And, and I know our organization, you know, obviously inside it out and our, our baseball, our skill development group really, really uh, values that. And, and what I can see, you know, from, from across the field and, and other dugouts is that others are starting to see that too. And you hear others talking about it. And I think for the longest time, like guys were getting lucky getting in the right training program that made them a better baseball player. And everybody just assumed, well, if you just work harder, if you just get bigger, if you just get stronger, you're going to get better. And, and you and I both know that's not the case. Like uh, I think the field has become much more precise with how it acts. Absolutely. Where do you know? I mean, it's not, it's not just good enough to be a strength coach anymore, right? You've got to wear these, these different hats. Where were the, the biggest adjustments for you when you got to the big leagues? What were the, I mean, was it sports science? Was it, you know, peacefully coalescing with the rehab folks? Was it, you know, communicating to the front office? What were the areas where you really had to, you know, basically grow? And then also, I know your role has kind of changed since you first got there. Um, how would you kind of define what it is your role is today and, and outline it a little bit for us? For sure. Yeah. On the rehab standpoint, I was very fortunate. And I think everybody, every young strength coach should spend a year uh, or at least a long period of time with, with their rehab group. And so when I was in the GCL, we were also taking care of all the minor league rehab players. So like be able to see that full spectrum, 18 year old uh, American high school kid that gets drafted, 16 year old Dominican kid that gets signed, uh 25 year old triple A pitcher that gets hurt and comes back big league pitcher, big league position player that gets hurt and comes down, you know, to the complex to get rehab. Like you get to see all of those things. So I felt really confident 
from that standpoint uh, of understanding the rehab and, and how that kind of fit in and where the role of strength and conditioning is and fitness is and, and returning to play. And, you know, the, the second thing was the nutrition. Like everybody knows the horror stories of what nutrition was or is in baseball, especially in minor league baseball. And mm-hmm. again, the resources that the Dodgers provide, like we were able to kind of capitalize that on that and, uh, and change the way that, that the game is w- with nutrition. And like that's not, that sounds like great in theory. It's not an easy conversation to have a player that's been used to having hot dogs and pizza their whole career. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was the first thing is like taking baby steps with that and making sure that we, you know, we provided guys some food that they liked, but also some food that would help them perform and recover, you know, at a higher level. And then, uh, you know, this term sports science has come up multiple times. Uh, and sports science, I think, uh, I think this is where I like start looking at like Bern Gambetta and guys like that and when, and how they term it. Like we can turn anything into sports science. There's a difference between that and sports tech. Mm-hmm. And so like delineating the two and I, I will be the first one to say like I went down the rabbit hole of tech thinking I was doing sports science and I was absolutely wrong. Tech is only good enough uh, for measuring and it's only good enough uh, for our athletes if we actually know what we're measuring and we know what to tell them to do to intervene. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was a that was a huge uh, learning lesson for me from 2013 to 2015, 16. And it still is quite honestly to this day of just what that, what that stuff means and what sports science uh, actually is. And, and then, you know, the last part that you touched on with the front office, I think the more and more people, uh, like Eric Cressy that put out really good podcasts, um, uh, people listen. And, and I think our front office and everybody's front office is progressive and, and understands that there's more to this world out there and, and they're listening to those things. And so it's created an avenue where strength coaches are getting asked, really, really important questions about really, really important players and how they can impact their careers and ultimately impact the wins and losses at the major league level. Absolutely. Do you, um, and I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, there was a great quote from uh, Fergus Connolly. I think he said something effective, uh, 90% of sports science is knowing what not to do. And I, and I love how you differentiated between sports science and sports technology. Um, you know, you mentioned going down the rabbit hole. What were, what were some of the technologies that you pursued that looking back, you know, it didn't pan out. Like it, it didn't, didn't actually, uh, you know, line up with something that was an impactful change for, and then were some of the, what are some of the things that you looked at that you, you still use to this day that you think is a really useful resource? Yeah, I'll be honest in saying that everything that we have used in the past, there's a use case for it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was more the implementation. I think it was thinking that Nordboards were going to fix every question. Force plates were going to fix every question. Like, mm-hmm. aha, I heard it at this course this off season. We've yep. got the answer. We're going to fix everything. Nobody's going to get hurt this year and everybody's going to be at their peak levels. Yeah. And so it, it was really more, about figuring out like, okay, we have a guy who has a huge engine, a big anterior tilt of his pelvis, uh, and Nordboard scores that are, you know, off the charts. And they're also about 20% outside of each other. The right ones may be uh, a little bit stronger than the left one. Like the guys that, you know, the guys that run fast and have bad posture and bad mechanics, like those are the ones that scare you the most. Like those, that's where I started to tend to maybe use a little bit more of like a Nordboard or some type of, uh, you know, hamstring, uh, modality or technology to, to try to look into or the omega waves of the world of like, if you're a guy that, that sleeps eight hours a night, eats really good and you're never stressed out, like, do I need to slap a omega wave on every day to find out that you're in the green? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, is it more about making my athletes aware that are stressed, that don't sleep well, that don't eat well. They're like, hey, when you do this to your body, this is how your body's reacting. And we don't have an area of opportunity to number one play tonight, let alone train to get better. So if you try to do both at a high level, we're putting you at risk. 
Absolutely. And no, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like you also mentioned, you know, that you, you went from obviously the private sector at API before it was Exos and then, and headed into MLB. What was the biggest adjustment going from the private sector? You know, this is, this is me look, from the outside looking in. Like I have a sweet gig. Like I'm, I get guys in the off season. Like we take as much time as we need. Like our, all of our skill coaches are kind of like underneath the same umbrella and I, I'm responsible for hiring them. So we have no excuse to have, you know, a bad app we might not, you know, communicate well with. What were the biggest adjustments for you as you went from the private sector? into baseball yeah so the the first one is that on march 31 which i still consider like private sector territory you know, mm-hmm. or the day before the season starts like everything's euphoric mm-hmm. and uh, everybody's happy and like everybody's got uh you know there's a potential of winning the world series and having the greatest year of your career and there's no adversity mm-hmm. and and so like learning that on april 1 when you run out to that line for the first time to get your name announced uh, for that season that, that players, they go into a, a different level. They go into a different mode and that's, that's in season mode. And like, I think that comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of territory. It doesn't mean that you back off. Doesn't mean that you don't train. Doesn't mean that you don't try to get better, but you have to approach your conversations differently maybe than you do in November. Um, after you win the world series and, and, and everything is great. Number two was, um, you know, trying to understand the difference between in season, preseason, off season, all of our NSCA uh, phases that we yeah. went through when we took our CSCS, <laughs> but, um, you know, and trying to blend those things correctly. And that the off season is meant, in my opinion, to develop this unbelievable tissue tolerance mm-hmm. to be able to withstand the demands of playing and traveling throughout the course of a season, whether you're on a bus, you're on a plane, you're changing time zones, or you're in the California league. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, learning that like we couldn't do two, three sets of eight in the off season and expect that to get us anywhere if we wanted to actually prepare our tissue to, you know, for spring training, which is arguably the hardest time of the year. Absolutely. And at the same time, maybe we don't have a guy in the off season. Maybe we didn't have access to him and he's doing a program that isn't suited for them during the off season. And then they walk in on that first day and when they say, they say, Hey, here's your card. Yeah. There you go. This is a workout. And now all of a sudden that workload is too high. It spikes. Mm-hmm. And now again, we're throwing more balls. We're taking more swings. There's more intensity. And oh, by the way, you're on your feet for the first time in four months in spikes for about yep. three hours a day. Let's go ahead and ramp up the intensity in the weight room too. That sounds like a smart idea. Mm-hmm. And so learning the where strength and conditioning fits in, um, was the, the biggest, cause it, when I go to, when I go to Cressy performance, mm-hmm. it's about strength and conditioning and preparing mm-hmm. myself for the off season. When I show up to spring training, it's about winning a world series. Mm-hmm. It's about getting ready for baseball. And so and not to say that we take a back seat, we just take a different approach and try to figure out, you know, where our lens fits in. I mean, you, you alluded to, you know, I can only imagine it's like drinking through a fire hose when, you know, you've got 50 guys that show up to camp and all of them are in markedly different places. Is that your biggest challenge? Or like, what are some of the, the big challenges that you, that you struggle with that keep you up staring off into blackness at 3 a.m. during the season? Absolutely. Like we try to be as precise as possible. I, I've, I've worked with you on developing mm-hmm. programs for some of our athletes in the mm-hmm. past. And like, we can argue and split hairs all day long of like, I think two sets is too much. I think one's too little. Like let's yeah. do one and you know, whatever it is, you get to spring training and I got, I have a blindfold on and our, our staff has a blindfold on and we definitely don't want to ramp them up too fast, but we don't want to ramp them up too slow. Like, Tissue tolerance is a real thing. We need to run. We need to feel ground balls. We need to swing 
to get ready to play the season. And, and if we try to, if we try to hold back on that, let alone what we're doing in the weight room, if we try to hold back on that, you know, we're, we're not going to be, we're not going to be prepared for the season. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, so I want to, I want to return to some of the, you know, the, the sports science stuff as it relates to workload. And what's interesting is, you know, a lot of the, you know, you alluded to Omega Wave and, and spoke about some of the other stuff, but, you know, I think we have kind of like two prevailing schools of thought. And what's interesting is I, I think it seems like one of those things where people are at one end of the spectrum or the other, right? So from when it comes to workload, we have, you know, a, a school of thought that says, all right, uh, we're going to use all this sports science stuff to justify pushing guys harder, building like a high level of work capacity and developing a lot of resi- resilience. And then we also have like a school of thought that says we can, we can use this to justify pulling back, pulling back, pulling back, um, you know, in, in hopes of just not using up all their bullets the wrong way in season. Do you feel like you, um, you, you adhere to, to one end of that spectrum or are you a happy medium between the two? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think every recipe is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And and I want to apply. Number one, I'm I'm very for the players and and want them to feel safe and feel comfortable. And I want them to use tech. Mm-hmm. I want them to use it for the reasons they want to. Like you want to throw a K vest on because you want to understand, you know, kinematic sequence, or you want to put, um, you know, you want to put a band on the bar and see how fast you're pushing. Like I want you to be into that. I'm not going to try to try to jam that that down your throat. Uh, and then number two, I think it's understanding what we're training for. And, and understanding the demands of, of the game. And if we, if we understand that much better, how many sprints does a center fielder run in a game versus a first baseman? Or how many swings does our, you know, how many swings does our first baseman take versus our left fielder? Like they, they might have different, we might have a minimalist approach guy in one position and a max effort, max volume guy in another one. So it's really about understanding your athletes, pulling back and then looking at my tool belt of this technology and, and the information research that I have available to me to then hopefully give them the right recipe for success. Do you think uh, in general baseball has trended in one direction or the other? Do you think we've, or, you know, do you think as, as a whole, the industry has underprepared guys, um, you know, and they haven't developed a, you know, a substantial workload tolerance? Um, or do you think it, you know, it kind of goes across the board. Every organization is a little different. I think every, every organization, every player is a little bit different. I think just when we think that we swing too much, um, and that's what's causing obliques or low back strains. And then we, we back off of the swinging and, mm-hmm. and then we still have those injuries, um, that we maybe swung too far. Or, and when you look over and somebody's got a, a mini band and four, four pieces of tech hooked up to their head at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I also think that like that, that probably isn't realistic as well. But, uh, you know, I think anytime in any avenue of life that you try to deal in extremes, uh, the outcome is probably not going to be very good. And, and so we've just, from failure, personal failure, of just sitting back and saying, hold on, let's try to, um, you know, let's try to put the right strategy in or the right piece of tech in for this solution. So I, I still think that it, it's, there will always be people that think they found the answer and jump to, uh, jump to extremes, but you know, the, the class of strength and conditioning coaches, the class of sports medicine staffs, and even really the, you know, some of the, some of the hitting guys and pitching guys out there that understand all this stuff. Like I think we've moved so much further that you don't hear a whole lot of people leaning one way or another. I think it's, it's really about understanding those diagnostics now. 
Absolutely. No, if we're, if we're talking, I mean, obviously the Dodgers have had a lot of success, you know, perennial playoff contender every year, won, won their division by, you know, a million games this year. I- I'm curious as to your perspective, like obviously from the outside, they, they have, you know, more financial resources, things like that. But I think there's, there's obviously a lot of systems and things like that underneath that umbrella that, you know, that differentiate them. What, what do you, where do you see it as a, what, what are the things that they do incredibly well that make them, you know, the, you know, the powerhouse that they are in, in, in today's modern baseball game? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it obviously, as I spoke about, it starts with our ownership and the resources they give and then, and then Stan Caston and, and his ability to look over the organization. And, and then from a baseball ops standpoint, you know, Andrew Friedman, um, asks more questions than he gives answers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the part that he values the most out of, you know, out of his people too. And so he's, he's just done an unbelievable job of, finding people to work with him at the various different departments and levels of the organization that are also also asking really good questions, but at the same time are relentless in their pursuit of, you know, of a championship that no one pigeonholes themselves into believing one method is the answer. It's more of a philosophy of like, we're, we're not going to leave a, a stone unturned to, to find anything. And I think because of that, Number one, we, you know, we can go out and find some really good free agents. Number two, the guys that were already here and doing well become better because they buy into the information and they buy into the stuff that we're providing for them. And number three, our, our player development system, um, is, it is a, it is absolutely beautiful to watch. I get a chance to go to instruction league for, you know, a day or two every year. And like, I have been jealous of those guys because it is literally probably the best. Um, it's, it, in my opinion, it's one of the best settings in professional sports. That's awesome. Um, and I'm, I'm building on some of the, the sports science stuff just because I thought it was funny to talk about that. Um, one of the things we know you're, you're based in LA, right? So anybody who's ever traveled extensively know that traveling east sucks way more than traveling <laughs> yep. west, right? Um, yep. It's a lot, a lot easier to go west and just stay up a little bit later than it is to come east and try to adjust on a red eye. Um, so you guys have obviously done a lot of, of time zone changes. You know, you, you certainly play in the NL West, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to come east and, you know, play the Marlins once or you got to come to New York and play the Mets. So, you know, what are some important considerations that you guys work with, um, you know, when, when time changes due to travel are real concerns? Like, what do you guys work with with your players to get them to adjust to minimize variability from a performance standpoint in spite of these adjustments? Yeah, I think the uh, number one is hydration. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, being on a plane, just the, the plane ride, let alone the time change in its own right, like dehydrates you. And whether that's adding some supplements and some electrolytes to, to that water, uh, depending on who you are, I think is number one. And, and getting hydrated early before you become, you know, even remotely close to dehydrated, it is, is, you know, the most important because if you, <laughs> if you wait until you're dehydrated, try to hydrate, like good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and number two, it's like trying to understand how long we're going to be in a time zone. So if we're going to be in a time zone for three days and go back to the West coast. That's much different than like, we know we're going on a 10 game East coast trip. Like let's do everything we can to get adjusted to that time zone as, as soon as possible. Um, and you know, just trying to match up sleep schedules with that and practice schedules with that and recommending what types of foods to eat, to not to eat. You know, when we get into the city the next morning, when you wake up, uh, you know, I gone, I've gone as far to get glasses for the guys to make sure that they, um, you know, aren't, aren't looking at their screens too much or, you know, posture stuff just to make sure the guys aren't hunched over in flexion, you know, the whole flight and they get up and like, Oh, that doesn't feel great. And so, you know, as far as the, I think baseball players and humans in, in general just really have the ability to adapt. 
I think the more you do this, the easier it is to adapt. But if we can find small victories in, in something like sleep hygiene or time zone change, like that can be crucial for, you know, not only wins and losses, but, you know, the, the true recovery of our athletes to perform the, the next day. And, and ultimately, like much like the hydration thing that I just, just spoke about, like once you get under recovered, it's really tough to get out of the red. Absolutely. Um, I was, uh, I'm, I'm actually curious. There's a, a interesting article on the athletic that came out a couple of weeks ago that talked about like, you know, the, the rite of passage as, as like young guys get to the big leagues and the veteran takes them out to buy them a suit. Um, you know, you hear stories about like guys who play for the Cubs, right? You know, veterans taking young guys under their wing to teach them about like, here's what happens when you play day games on such a regular schedule. Here's what you need to do. I'm curious as to what's the, what's the wisdom that you always find yourself imparting to that 23 year old kid that gets called up to the big leagues for the first time. And is just like a, a deer in headlights on so many fronts. Like obviously they get advice from veterans and, you know, pitching coaches and hitting coaches and all that stuff. But what, what do you try to impart from a wisdom standpoint on them from a strength conditioning and nutrition standpoint? Yeah, it's uh it's funny. The the first part of that is like it took me a while to realize like well I've been here a few years and you know eight years isn't that long but it, it's in, in these terms it probably is and so it, it, there was a couple of years I was like oh wow I should probably be given some insights I actually might have, have them now for somebody so that was the first part was just overcoming that and number two um, we've had some we've been very fortunate to bring up some really really like good baseball players great baseball players in, in the last few years and why would we ever want them to change? Mm-hmm. And so like, that's the first thing is like, whatever you were doing in AAA and whatever you were doing, like there's just one more deck of, of uh, stands out there. There's one more deck of bleachers out there. There's just, you know, a lot more people in the stands. Bases are still 90 feet away. The pitching mount is still 60 foot six away. So let's not change just because you maybe see one of our athletes that's been here for a while and been really successful doing something. That doesn't mean that you need to do that. That plan that you've had, um, it works. And, and if it's not working, we will sit down and make some calculated adjustments to it. And then number, number three, and, and this is, this is why I think like you see guys get to the big leagues and, and have a tendency to, to gain weight is like you just have, um, access to more. It's, it's probably better number one, but it's more. And so there's always more food. There's more opportunities to eat. There's more couches to sit on. There's, you know, even, even on the positive side. There's just better weight rooms. There's just better training facilities. There's better batting cages and all of that. And I think, uh, you know, from a behavioral side, like we can kind of get caught up into that and think like, well, I better hoard all this that I can. Um, and, and so they try to, guys try to take too much. So it's just reminding them like, pace yourself, be patient and, and, and take it one thing at a time. Like all the, all this stuff is here to make sure that we give everybody the, the things that they need to perform at a high level. Nobody said that all this stuff was here because you have to take it. Absolutely. And are you teaching, I mean, are you doing a lot of minor league outreach or is your position largely, largely focused in the major league side of things? Uh, you know, I'm uh, very fortunate to work with a lot of minor league guys in the off season mm-hmm. in LA, mm-hmm. um, spend some time over there in spring training, uh, very in the know uh, from our coordinators of what's, what's going on in the minor leagues and, and what we're trying to do. Um, Cause I want to develop that relationship. And I want Travis, our major league strength coach, to develop that relationship. So when one of our players walks in, you know, the first time of getting called up, it's 
it's not new. Yeah. And like, at least if they see one familiar face or two familiar faces, like they know where they can go hide when it gets a little stressful. Uh, and, and even in terms of reaching out to minor league coaching staffs, right? Like it's, it's obviously par- important for folks to get there and not see a totally different philosophy in play at the big leagues than they saw in AAA or AA. Um, how much standardization is, is a, a part of your job where it's reaching out to guys who are minor league coordinators and affiliate strength coaches to, to make sure guys are all speaking the same language? Yeah. And so uh, I tell the story all the time. We could probably do a whole other podcast on this because I'm really passionate on the, uh, on the staff development side of things. Mm And we, um, I wouldn't say we standardize anything, but uh, we've been so fortunate with, with Stoney and and Trav and myself to be here as long as we have together Mm -hmm. that we are able to, um, put together the things that we value in a, in a young strength coach and a strength coach that's maybe coming to fill a double A AA or triple A position, a coordinator position. Um, so we know what we're looking for. And so we don't, we're not trying to clone anybody per se, but we know what we believe in and we know what we don't believe in. And so uh, that gives our coaches and our coordinators the ability to go out and feel like they have autonomy to make changes and to, you know, to, to promote the strength and conditioning program the Dodger strength conditioning program and the light that, that they, that they want to express it. But if you went to the Dominican or you came to the big leagues, you will not see the same thing, but you'd be able to tell that, you know, this is the Dodgers philosophy. That's, that's super important. People don't realize that athletes pick up on that stuff. You know, it's like, you can't go to mom and get one answer and dad, another one. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm moving on to the lightning round. This is always like a fun part. It's, okay. it's a lightning round for me because I asked the question quickly. You should, you can make your responses as yeah, long as you got want. It. Got um, it. I'll try to play what's, along. What's a good lesson for a young Brandon McDaniel if you had to look back in time? Uh, patience. Like, uh, you can't fake it to get here. You absolutely like have to learn some lessons and go through some things and, and uh, fail to get here. And failure is not a bad thing. It's actually one of the most important things into, into growing. Absolutely. What about a, a good recommendation to up and coming aspiring MLB strength coaches? Somebody who wants to be Brandon McDaniel in 10 years? Um, you know, if you're not, if you're not in it right now, like learn as much as you can about the game. I think that we, we have so much access to every strength and conditioning, every sports medicine symposium capable to, you know, out there to go to and, and learn information. But if we don't understand how to hit, throw and run on a baseball field, it's really, really hard to train for that. So as I, I know, like Mike Boyle always talks about, like for every one book that I read that is about, you know, the technical side of training, uh, there's another book that I read on the personal development side. And, and I would argue the third book I would read is understanding baseball a little bit more. That's a great recommendation. And, and in a similar vein, what's a, what's a course or a book that you read that had a tremendous impact on you and why? Yeah. So the first book that, um, changed me from a strength conditioning, uh, mindset was, was Cook's movement book. Um, and that's an easy one, but for me, it was, it, it showed me that like an active straight leg raise on the ground is also that heavy single leg RDL. Um, up on your feet and one is building mobility and stability and motor control. And the other one is potentially building strength, endurance, and power. And just, just understanding, you know, how to program for our athletes. Um, and so again, like you can go down to one level and see them doing an active straight leg raise and you can go to another one and see them doing a heavy barbell RDL. And like, there's a reason why they're doing it. And it's a progression they followed to get there from a nutrition standpoint. I was a fat kid growing up, why we get fat and what to do about it by Tobbs, uh, extremely impactful. My wife is a, is a dietitian, so I'm very fortunate to get some recommendations from her, but 
that was the first nutrition book where I had this kind of aha moment. And then, and then the last thing, uh, you know, kind of from that personal development standpoint was, uh, talent code and understanding what perfect practice was the Milan chief. And, you know, that obviously got my attention. We start talking about baseball and Curacao and, and how Andrew Jones like lit the nation under fire when, when he hit a home run in the world series against the Yankees. But that book really kind of put it together of not only like how to do it in the weight room or how, how I think we should do it in the weight room, but how it ties into the bigger picture. And, and we're trying to make guys better at baseball and not necessarily better in the weight room. I like it. And building on that, what are you reading right now? What, what piques your interest? What are you studying hard on? I just, so funny you said like I'm range is on my audible. There and you go. so if I can make it five minutes without a phone call I'll <laughs> every morning, I, I, I'm trying to, trying to dive into that. Um, cause I, I, I'd read the, you know, the first part of it, uh, the first book of the series. And, and so, uh, really excited to kind of, kind of dive into that, you know, from, from this, from our world or from our side of things, like just trying to dive into, and I know I alluded to it earlier, so it's easy to make the recommendation, but I'm trying to understand the swing better and the throw better and how, why everybody's different and why they're good. And I'm watching these painful world series games right now <laughs> uh, that are tough to watch uh, for us personally, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and watching the guys that are throwing, just trying to learn from them and, 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 see why they're so successful and why they're so successful in late October. All right. So you're going to be the second person that's ever gotten these two questions. The first one was Matt Hobbs. He was our our first college coach that we've had on here. Um, I asked him, what was the best question a recruit ever has ever asked you? So I'm going to ask you, what's the best question a player has ever asked you? Oh boy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't, there is so, there are so many, I promise you the question started with why and mm-hmm. why are, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, I think most of the time it comes down to testing. Why am I doing this FMS? Why am I doing this screen? Why am I doing, I don't do this on the field. I don't, and it makes you own your stuff. It makes you understand like to be able to explain like why we needed to, to, to test hip rotation. Mm-hmm. femur rotation or pelvic rotation, whatever it is. And like to be able to own that and show an athlete where it shows up on the field, like that's probably why it was the most important question or the hardest question I've ever been asked. I like it. So building on that, what's a, what's an important lesson that an athlete taught you? What was it? Oh, again, I mean, those are, those are very, those are very countless, but I, I think athletes, athletes, well, like kids, like I have a, you know, five-year-old son and a four-year-old son, mm-hmm. another one due in, in two weeks. And like kids teach you so much mm-hmm. about, you know, <laughs> just how to love and, and, mm-hmm. and how to move and, and all those different things. But athletes are really, really resilient and they adapt really well. And, and so watching the athletes that I've worked with over the years, whether it's been youth baseball, high school baseball, military, and, and now professional baseball, like, um, we can, they can handle more than we think they can. Well, and, no doubt about and, it. And they want to be challenged. And so the, I think the ones that like are a little feisty or give you a little bit of problems or can be a little bit annoying, like those are the ones that when they're gone, you're like, wow, I really appreciated the fact that he was on me as much as I was on him. That's great stuff. And then last one, uh, what are the biggest window of adaptations that you see, you know, today's players overlook? Like where can, where can guys find a competitive advantage to try to become big leaguers? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, at the younger levels of the engine development stage, like getting strong and getting strong the right way. Um, whether that's December 
and, and you know, parts of November, December, and parts of January for a professional baseball player, or you know, at the high school level, like progressive strength that's right for you uh, is a is a huge window of opportunity. And and I think too, while you're doing that, like staying up on your ability to cover a range of motion. Like I don't dive into like, okay, this is our mobility program or this is our stability. Like we should be, it's much like energy systems. We should be using all of them at the same time. And we might just be spending more time predominantly in one more than another, but I hate how kids aren't born tight and they're not, they're not born with a lack of mobility. Like we've trained them into that. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that, that we're, you know, we're being really mindful of, of that. And number two is just like, we are so monotonous in this in this training world right now and, and and trying to go 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 achieve 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 and like there and, I, and i'm not going to go down like the rabbit hole like sports specialization at a young age or anything like that because i know it's a, it's a touchy subject and a, and, a, and a hot topic but um being able to to move around in different ways and like taking a mental break from what you're doing like at the end of, at the end of a long season like it doesn't mean that you should stop eating the way that you should be eating or it doesn't mean that you should stop being fit. Like we should always be fit, but it doesn't mean that you need to be like dug into some uh, high performance phase at, at this point. Like take some time to be a human, take some time to be a husband or a wife or, you know, a brother or sister or, or a father, uh, mother. Like that, that part to me is when you can find mental clarity and it's so much easier to ramp back up and, and you forget how much you've you've missed that part of it and it makes you want it even more when you get back in. I love that. And, um, you're not a big social media guy. So as we wrap up, I'm not going to give out your social media stuff, but you guys are hosting, um, a, a strength and conditioning symposium, uh, this December, correct? That's correct. December 14th and 15th at Dodger stadium. I, I'm nice. super pumped and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to promote it as something where I think people are going to come and learn something groundbreaking. We're going to talk about the world of professional professional baseball and, and, and how we think that we should develop athletes, number one. But number two, I, I've, I've been very, very fortunate to be some awesome courses. And the best thing that I've gotten out of them, the best experiences I've had is the people that I shared it with. And so we just want to create this awesome network where, where people want to come and whether they're in baseball or not, but people want to come learn about baseball strength and conditioning. And maybe it can affect their high school team, their college team, their pro team, or, you know, they, they work in a different sport and, and they pick up something on the way that we diagnose our, you know, diagnostic programs with our, with our athletes and how we intervene and, and then how we train in the in-season and off-season. That's great. And folks can find it on MLB.com, but we'll link to it in the show notes so they can check it out. Um, definitely a, a really good collection of speakers. Travis, I've interacted with personally, and Eric Yabroni is speaking. is actually a former CSP intern. He's a, a rock star in pro baseball now. So you got a, a really good lineup. Definitely encourage folks to check that out. Yeah, um, I can't believe I made it all the way through without mentioning. Yeah, but um, yeah, the, the, it definitely, um, once I'm done speaking, I think everybody, the learning can begin. So I'm excited nice. for that. <laughs> Very cool. Well, listen, we really appreciate you taking the time. This is a lot of fun and I, I picked up some good tidbits myself. So, um, we appreciate you, uh, setting aside a little block of time this afternoon, especially as your off season gets underway and you sh- should be enjoying some peace and quiet. I hope. Nah, I appreciate it. No, this was awesome. I always enjoy it. Thank you, Eric. You got it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP elite baseball development podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email elitebaseballpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, 
and we'll see you next episode.